Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, ratio analysis. Now, this is actually a technical subject. It's just calculate, and I do not even require that you do the calculations, uh, memorize the formulas. I have a formula sheet I'll show you here in just a few minutes, and you can bring it to the midterm, that sheet, no writing, other writing on it, of course. You've got your four by six note card, but you uh, can have this formula sheet with you. Like I said, my emphasis is on do you know how to calculate uh, to understand what the ratios are telling us, not can you show me you can use a calculator. That's too easy. And I'll do this in Excel to make it a little bit easier for you overall anyway uh, using the formulas. But first, a quick look at the, at the market. And then I'm going to have a guest speaker come in and talk to you about bull and bear markets because I'm generally a bearish investor, but I want <coughs> to have someone who can be very forward-looking and positive about uh, bullish sentiment. But if you look at the markets, they just have had a down day, and it's a very it's a classic day. Dow was down the least, 0.12 percent, and then you've got the S&P 500 which was down more than half a percent, and then the NASDAQ is down uh, almost 0.9%. Uh, so it's the typical pattern, greater risk, greater volatility, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's, there's nothing new about this day. It is a slow day on the market, though. But look at the price of crude oil. It is way down. I talked to a retired uh, oil uh, analyst, and he said it's just that the, the world is just so full of oil right now. There is a, still a supply, uh, an undersupply in jet fuels, so those distillates will probably be produced for another week or two to get that supply up. But you should see the price of gasoline taking a pretty decent drop here within the week, uh, probably. Uh, that's quite a low price for crude. Um, Gold tried to show some rally, but it didn't. Now, here's the interesting thing. Ten-year bonds, the yields were up, as you can see, which means the prices were down. So you had the uh, investors getting out of stocks, selling their stocks. They weren't using that money to buy bonds. They were getting out of bonds, too. So that's a second-stage flight to quality. They, obviously, the metals weren't doing anything uh, fancy. So this has to be cash uh, that the investors are moving into. They're just putting their money aside and doing a wait-and-see kind of attitude. If you look over here at the actual S&P 500, those 500 stocks, the volume today is maybe about a third, well, it'll, it'll probably end up being about a third of the average daily volume, 1.5 billion versus a typical day, 4.1 billion. In other words, the big investors are staying off the grid for the time being. There's kind of a wait-and-see attitude. We're not in any bad shape at all, but right now, the Fed's 
kind of, we think the Fed's going to finally start backing off here pretty soon. They, they're still being hawkish on inflation, but I mean, the economy is just ro roaring along now. So, I mean, it should pick up speed, but who knows? That's why investors are just waiting to see what's going to happen next. If you go over here, you'll see, uh, well, London was in a bad mood right before we opened up. And then the Nikkei was actually fairly positive all day. So whatever is bothering the Western world doesn't seem to be upsetting Asia at all. There was some talk that the markets would be kind of jittery because we shot down that Chinese balloon and they thought that might create some tension and that makes the markets a little bit skittish. But really, if Japan is doing okay, then that can't be what's making the market, making market participants uh, wary right now. So what it is, your guess would probably be about as good as mine right now on that. But this is a, bull, a bear market, and most people that you know are uh, would be bullish, but as a general rule, I'm a bearish investor, and I tend to convey that in class. But at the same time, the problem is that there are bullish investors who would disagree terribly with me. So I wanted to bring in a bull, uh, a bull so that he can give you a couple of words of his advice on bull markets. Please wait for a minute here. There's a guest speaker I'm trying to find right now. I can't find him. Hmm. I can't find my uh, speaker. My guest speaker's disappeared. Give me a minute here. Let me see if I can locate him somewhere. Where are you? Oh, there you are. You're supposed to be out here. Hang on. Okay, come on in here. You can just wait in this okay. room right here for your cue. Okay, good. I will yell. No, there's no such thing as a bull. I'm a bull, and I believe in bull markets. The markets are going to go up forever. You will never see a bear market again as long as you live. In fact, I'm a little bit suspicious that, there, that bulls might actually not even exist. Trust me when I tell you, there is no such thing as a bull, a bear. Bears don't exist ever. You've never seen a bear anywhere in your life, and you never will, not in the markets, and that is no bull. Ah! Leave me! No, no, move, move, move. Leave me alone. 
Ah! Ah! No, 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 this is my bullhead! Ratio analysis. I have a sheet here. I need some more jack. In your resources tab in Reginet, <coughs> There is a financial analysis formula sheet. You can print that up, and that will be your guideline for doing ratio problems. Uh, but like I said, these are just the calculations, and we're going to do this in Excel. Take a real company and just do these in Excel. But along the way, and I'll do this today to some extent, and then on Wednesday to more of an extent, the question isn't, well, what's the number? The question is, why is the number what it is, and what does it tell us about the company and its investment prospects? And there are a lot of stories. I could fill you with stories. Look, I'm going to show you a place where you can go, and you can just get all these ratios for five years, and there are literally dozens and dozens of ratios. And every analyst has his or her favorites. And this is sort of like a generic little sampling. But do know that, yeah, the calculations are important, but they are not the most important thing at all. And I'll, I'm going to use Excel. And if you want to pull out your notebooks and follow along with me, by all means, do so. And then I'm also going to upload this so that you can see what I did if you get behind. Uh, I'll try to be fairly slow with it. But at the same time, what I'm going to do is I am going to pull up Walmart. And I'll just go over here, get a fresh sheet, sec.gov, filings. I'll slow down here a little bit so you can catch up. Uh, and I go Edgar, sec.gov, filings, ed, uh, company filing search, and I'm going to go WMT, Walmart. And as you've seen before, you might even have this already on your notebooks. Uh, the, this is just the Walmart that I've pulled up before. Interactive data, download the Excel sheet. And like I said, this, if you were following along last week, then this is the same stuff that I did before. Here's Walmart. Now, as I did before, I'm going to pull these sheets around so that I have the ones that I want next to each other. There's one that's going to, I'm probably, 
that I have to bring up the statement of retained earnings here, but I'll deal with that here in a while. Now, I want the income statement and the balance sheet. There it is. So I'm going to grab that balance sheet. I'm going to pull it over here so that it's right next to my uh, income statement. And then I'm also going to need my, will I need the statement of cash flows or not? Well, I'm going to just pull it over here anyway in case statements of cash flow somewhere in here. There it is. And I'm just going to pull this over. I don't know that I'll need it or not. But again, what, I've, what you've seen me do before is I create a sheet right here between the income statement and the balance sheet. Insert a worksheet. Now I'm going to call this one ratios. And this is where I'll just grab the data from the other sheets and do my calculations here. In other words, I'll be just cranking, the, cranking these formulas. I don't need this now, don't need that. I'll just be doing these formulas, one after the other. And this is why, I mean, this is the stuff that you can do. I, I, you can do this almost with your eyes closed. This is not hard. The more important part is being able to interpret them. But we see that the uh, financial ratios are broken down into, uh, well, five. But the ones that I'll focus on today are profitability, liquidity, asset activity, and market value. Now, the profitability are the first ones. And what I'll do is I'm going to put in two years here, 2022 in cell B1 and 2021 in cell, well, let's try that again, 2021 in cell C1. And now I'm going to go down here. Start with the profitability ratios. Now, before I go any further, remember what I told you, that a lot of companies don't put in their gross uh, income. So I'm going to have to click on the 9 in the rows, and I'm going to right-click Insert. And there I will do the gross income. Pulling it across, gross income is nothing but your total revenues minus your cost of sales. That's how much survived retail, uh, wholesale. And then I'll drag that over just so it's complete. And there you go, because I'm going to need that for my very first ratio. Going to the ratios, the first ratio is gross margin. Now, if you look on that sheet, that's just gross profit divided by sales. So I just say, okay, gross margin is equal to gross income divided by total revenue. 0.25, about 0.25%, 0.25. Here's what that says. Out of every dollar that goes into the registers at Walmart, in 2022, 25 cents survived wholesale cost. Now that number can be all over the place. I mean, some companies have really high gross margin, others have lower. This is actually somewhat low. That doesn't mean anything, that's Walmart. Now if you look over, if I drag it over to 2021, 
you notice that they have firmed up their gross margin a little bit from 24.8 to 25, nothing really important. Pretty stable on the wholesale side, pretty stable. So then the next one, that if I look at these in profitability, is operating margin. Operating margin is your EBIT, which is operating income. They're just the same thing, just different words for it. So operating margin, that would be equal to, go to the income statement, operating income divided by total revenues. That's four and a half cents. In other words, out of every dollar that went into the cash registers at Walmart, four and a half cents survived all of their operating bills, their wholesale and everything else. The fuck? <laughs> How could you sleep after that? <laughs> And you, <laughs> you shared your drink with us. Yeah, I, you know, this, is, this is a pick-me-up kind of thing. <laughs> little Kahlua in there. Uh, for medicinal purposes only, of course. Uh, again, though, again, though, you've got a, um, uh, where the hell was I? Oh! You see that their operating margin has improved. Now th that would mean that if the wholesale, if uh, their wholesale prices are obviously stable as a percentage, it looks like they've tightened their belts on things like wages and salaries, light bills, utilities, all that, or advertising. I don't know. I I'd have to look more carefully. But they have firmed up their operating margin a little bit, from four cents up to four and a half cents per dollar that came in. Now the last one is the net margin. Net margin is going to be your net income divided by your revenues. This, where, there it is, consolidate. That, the net income divided by the total revenues. Only two and a half cents of every dollar that came into the cash registers survived to get to what the shareholders are uh, own. Remember, the shareholders get the residual. So this company, Walmart, has paid all of its bills out of that dollar, and that then two and a half cents belongs to the shareholders. And that. That's actually a little down. It's not much. I mean, it's really stable. I mean, this of course, Walmart's very conservative. Everything kind of holds together about the same way year, year over year. So yeah, we've got some numbers there, okay? And as I'm going along, I'm talking about what these mean. Now, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about liquidity. Now, Walmart's going to be a little bit unusual. The first thing first, the current ratio. 
This just says, how many times over can your current assets, equals current assets, total current assets, divided by your current liabilities? Where the, why can't I see, there it is. So Walmart can pay its current liabilities. It could pay 0.9293 of its current liabilities with its current assets. That's actually low. Usually you see this a little above one. Too much above one means you have way too much liquidity. But Walmart is below one. Now here's the thing though. On the balance sheet, you see these current assets, cash, receivables, inventory, prepaid expenses. Realistically, inventory is not liquid. I mean, you can't get, I, a, a, companies that are so desperate for cash that they sell their inventory, they get pennies on the dollar for it. I mean, it's just not that liquid. So we might want to take a measure where we say, we call this one the quick ratio, or you'll hear me use the older term, the acid test. And we say, all right, let's take the current assets equals, in parentheses, current assets, total current assets, but subtract out the inventories and see how much we have left. And then we divide that by the current liabilities, total current liabilities. Look at that. I mean, you take out the inventory, and this company, Walmart, could pay its current assets. Yeah. Sure, it's all you're going to do, and let me do it over again. You're going to say, all right, in parentheses, I'm going to take my current assets, total current assets, minus the inventories, and then close the parentheses for the numerator. You follow it? Dear God. Divided by the total <laughs> Shut up. And we've got the quick ratio down to 0.28. They could cover only about 28% of their current liabilities with their truly liquid assets excluding inventory. And then there's a last one. This one is not in your book. It's old school, and it's interesting. I've been teaching this one long after it lost favor, and now it's beginning to get watched again. And I'll tell you a story about that in a minute. We call it the burn ratio. Some call it the cash ratio. The burn ratio, look, think of it this way. Think of it this way. You, madam, are the CEO of Megacorp. And it has finally come, the zombie apocalypse. And the zombies are at the door beating. And you yell, throw them the current assets. And they say, we want brains. And so, oh, well, that can't do the inventory uh, because they don't have any brains. 
And then, okay, accounts receivable, throw those. No, we want brains. And of course, that means your employees from Decatur can't be thrown out. So, but I digress. Okay, and then, okay, so give them the cash. That's all they want. Throw the cash. That's the burn ratio. If it really came down to it and you had to pay your bills tomorrow, your current bills, the only thing you really have is your cash. And that's why, that's why we do the burn ratio. We just say equals, go to the balance sheet, your cash and equivalents divided by the current liabilities. And there you go, down to point one, look below 0.17. If they had to pay all of their bills tomorrow, they'd have only 17% or so of what they need to do it. This is not an accident. Walmart is deliberate with this. We, I was showing this one, I may have mentioned this before. I uh, teach a short-term cash management class last semester. I showed Walmart. They do this on purpose. And it's part of, only a huge corporation can pull this off. Essentially, they're doing their short-term financing using their suppliers. Uh, Apple does the same thing. Huge companies can lay off what look like current liabilities, but they're actually sitting on their suppliers. Uh, you, uh, it works. Now, an interesting backstory with the burn ratio. Now, a couple of years ago, there was a company, it was, you know, according to classic financial analysis, using standard stuff. All these uh, analysts on Wall Street were just, th this company was dead. It, was, it wasn't going to make it. It was nowhere near any hope. And of course, that meant that some of these short-selling prop firms on Wall Street, they were just having a fun day. Every couple of weeks, they'd short the stock, and the stock would fall, and they'd pull a couple of million dollars in. And it was just a lull fest for them. Then there, but there was this one analyst, she was fairly young, and she was saying, this is ridiculous. This company has got $6 billion in cash. That's basically all it has, but it has $6 billion in cash. It's not going to die. It's just got to find good management to put that to work. That's all it is with that company. And then on a parallel track, possibly seeing this analyst, there was this Reddit thread called Wall Street Bets that started uh, talking about how it might be a good time to buy GameStop, the company with that massive cash ratio, that burn ratio up there in the stratosphere. And of course, history was made. A bunch of People on Reddit made a lot of money. The Wall Street boys were hanging out with this massive short position, and suddenly GameStop went into orbit, and they, got, they lost a huge amount of money. Boy, you never heard so much crying in your life from people in suits. But that's, this burn ratio is good to look at. So moving over here, you see that Walmart is even tightening its burn ratio. That's deliberate. They're doing this on purpose. And like I said, you've got current liabilities. Well, why don't you just slough those off to your suppliers for short-term financing? And what we call the CCC, the cash co uh, conversion ratio, 
is just spectacular on, on uh, Walmart. Anyway, those are the liquidity ratios. Going over here and seeing what we have next, well, we have the asset activity ratios. Now, the first one I'm going to tell you right now that the first one is, uh, if you look at this, see it, uh, average collection period. It's hard to do. Now, the, your Cengage homework gives you the number. See, the accounts receivable is easy, but finding credit sales, you're going to have to dig through those financials to find it because it's not right there where you can see it. I made the mistake in the last class of digging around to try to find credit sales for a company, and I just gave up. I'd have to, every company's probably going to, some companies still actually do put it in the income statement, you know, cash sales, credit sales, but Walmart doesn't, and so I'm not even going to try that one. That one can KMA. Anyway, more importantly, though, for our purposes, inventory turnover ratio. Inventory turnover. And I'll do it, and then I'll explain it. All you do for inventory turnover, if you look at the sheet, you look your sales divided by your inventory. So all we do here is say equals your total revenue divided by your inventory on the balance sheet. I want you to again notice how putting these sheets together the way I do, I scoot them around so that I can just quickly grab numbers. And you're not going to probably do it as quickly as I, I am because you'll have to be looking. You notice even sometimes I'm digging around looking, where the heck is that number? Okay, but anyway, Walmart clear, in a very real sense, Walmart completely clears its warehouses of all inventory 10 times a year. About every five weeks, it has completely rolled over its inventory. That is pretty good. Now, here's the thing. Inventory turnover ratio. There is a generally accepted axiom in financial analysis and in corporations that the higher the turnover ratio, the better. The ultimate is a Japanese system called just-in-time. Have you heard about that? Essentially, there is no inventory. Like at a car manufacturer, there's no inventory. They have the suppliers of the car parts in a ring around the main, uh, main uh, production facility. We need a car door, supplier brings it over. We need a steering wheel, supplier brings it over. And so they don't have inventory. Now, the, uh, the story behind, uh, for going forward from that, the Japanese car manufacturers were just kicking our asses in the United States. Our US car manufacturers were just getting creamed by the Japanese manufacturers in the 1980s. And one of the things, aside from claiming that the Japanese were cheating, there was also the uh, idea the American manufacturers said, we've got to get to just in time. We've got to do this too, by golly. And so they started working on it, got suppliers to move their uh, facilities to close, uh, to 
close proximity to the main production facility. And then disaster hit. Simply because once uh, car sales began to collapse, those US car manufacturers, they stopped producing. And that meant that all of these companies that had become completely dependent upon them stopped producing. Not only were the wages uh, from the main facility disappearing from these cities, like Detroit, the suppliers were having to get rid of people. And so entire cities were falling into a crater. You're saying, well, why didn't that happen to the Japanese? Because their entire business model is different. In the Koretsu system, they don't let each other fail. They make sure that they don't. Everyone stays together all the way. And we don't do that. Well, you're, you were a supplier and you knew the risks of saying, yes, 100% of your production would be for us. We just let it happen and we now have these shells of cities like Detroit, in part because we thought that we, all we had to do was implement the method and not the philosophy. Now there's another problem that as you have seen in the last few years with high inventory turnover ratios. All right, let's clear this inventory. We don't need big warehouses, we just get in enough to sell for the week and then we order more. Get in more inventory, sell it, get more. Well, what happens if there's a bottleneck back there in the supply chain? OMG, all of the warehouses are empty because they were so obsessed with having only enough to sell for the week that, or for the two-week cycle that when the, back, uh, when the back orders started happening, the channels completely clogged up. It was a disaster. <coughs> and then we had that ginormous ship that ran aground in the Suez Canal and that even added more to it because not only did we have to get the ship out of that mess, then the supply chain had to refill along the way. So if you think that the, uh, if you're in a company where they think higher inventory turnover ratio, always higher, well think again. You can pay a very big price for that if you do not keep enough inventory for glitches in your supplier's deliveries. That is just one of the warnings that we have about it. Now, one more that we do is asset turnover. This one takes the sales and divides it by the total assets. In other words, how many times a year do we turn over the whole daggone company? So, I, let me do this. It will equal your sales, total revenues, divided by the total assets of the company. And uh, total, where are they? there they are. In other words, Walmart could create Walmart 2.3 times over in any given year. That's kind of spectacular. I mean, you might see an asset turnover ratio of 1.7. Walmart generates itself, literally its, its total assets, 2.3 times a year. That's amazing. 
Now let me bring these over for one more year. And you can see that they've actually, oh, interestingly, the inventory turnover ratio has slowed down somewhat. They learned a lesson. But their asset turnover ratio is going up. They are recreating the company 2.3 times over every year as of two, uh, as at 2022, year end 2022. That's kind of spectacular. Now, taking it on, the next one I will do is debt. Now, a little caution here. You keep in mind that the debts have to be paid before the owners get a penny in a timely manner. If you owe your salaries and wages, those come before the shareholders. You owe your marketing people, that comes before the shareholders. You owe your light bill, your suppliers of your wholesale products, those all come before the shareholders. So these are important ratios. So the first one we would do is debt to total assets. Now debt to total assets. When you do this, look, look at the sheet here. You're going to take your debt divided by your total assets, total debt. Now, caution here. Don't take total liabilities. Just go for the long-term debt. I'll show you what I mean here. So let me get over here to the ratio, and it's going to equal your long-term debt. See it right here? Use just that one. Some people say, Use the long-term debt plus the current portion of long-term debt. Don't do that. Just take your long-term debt divided by your total assets. Walmart is 14% debt. Loosely speaking, that means it's 86% equity. Here's, why, here's the thing. Low debt means it's very unlikely that you'll ever go bankrupt because you're, you're not borrowing a lot. There is, however, another side to this. It's called gains to leverage. Think about it this way. If I, do you, have you ever heard the term OPM? Other people's money. You see, debt, you pay back a fixed amount a percentage, interest, and the face. With equity, I mean, that can go into the stratosphere. So if you use mostly debt and a little bit of equity, you will leverage, and that's the word leverage, your equity gains like a boss. As a matter of fact, a little later in the course, I am not even in jest, I can show you how to become a multimillionaire in about five years. It's how a lot of people have done it. But they use very high percentage levels of debt in their investments, very high. And therefore, when their investments go up, they have a fixed amount to pay back as debt, and the rest is their gravy. And so there is an argument that shareholders, you're not acting in your shareholders' best interest if you don't use some leverage 
in your capital structure. It's an argument. Walmart's a very conservative corporation overall, and they don't like debt, and they avoid it. Even though you'll see in a minute, I forgot there are profitability ratios I didn't include up there, and I'll go back in a minute and show them to you. Now, the other one, though, is times interest earned. Let me show you. Look at this income statement. See this right here, operating income, EBIT, earnings before interest and taxes. That's how much money the company has right before it has to pay its bondholders their interest. So if I were to take e, uh, times interest earned, oops, I'm on the wrong line, times interest earned, say equals how much does Walmart have to pay interest? Almost $26 billion divided by how much interest does it have? Net interest to pay? $1.8 billion. So they have, they have 14 times what they need to pay their interest. That is a pretty high number. You'll see those more like five to eight. This is a consequence. They don't have a lot of debt in their capital structure. They don't have a lot of interest to pay. Now, here's the thing, though. You start to worry when a company's number gets close to one. Because if it goes below one, the company is in default. If times interest earned is below one, the company has defaulted on an obligation. Again, if times interest earned is below one, the company has defaulted on an obligation. It doesn't have the money to pay it. Even when you get close to one, you're beginning to worry. I'll give you an example from a few years back. I think it was a couple of years back. A company that was founded right here in this town uh, had gotten in, had gotten hit really hard with the COVID lockdown, uh, Steak and Shake. They were financially in trouble. Sales were through the floor. They, were, they got so desperate that they were even offering franchises for a measly $10,000. I mean, that, that's incredible. It would have been a, probably would have been a good buy. They also cut their menu items down to the bone and all of that, which is always a big mistake. It's a natural reaction and it never works. Well, rarely does it work out. But, okay, there was a scuttlebutt all through finan the financial analysis bo message boards. We were projecting that uh, Steak and Shake would not have enough money to pay a looming debt obligation. And remember what I said, if you don't give your shareholders a dividend, all they can do is cry. But if you don't do your, give your, pay your debt, they will instantly take you to court and liquidate you. So the only thing Steak and Shake could do would be to try to seek protection under Chapter 11 of the Bankruptcy Code. And we, we saw it coming. Uh, their, their, the times interest earned was below one. We were projecting. They wouldn't be able to do it. They didn't have the cash on hand, and they couldn't clear out enough liquid, uh, liquid assets to do it. Well, 
surprise, surprise, somehow they managed to pull it off. They paid that. Uh, there's, there's speculation how they did it. It might have been a private placement. Some investor threw some money at them to get them through it. But anyway, let's look at these for the last couple of years here real quick. Notice that Walmart is actually pushing down its debt uh, as a percent of uh, total assets. It's gone from 16% clear down to 14%. And its times interest earned has commensurately gone up. Now, why would Walmart be paring down its debt, getting rid of debt from its capital structure? One speculation might be that they are not, they're paying off debt, but they're not bringing new debt in just because of the high interest rates right now. It's one of those things where you don't go out and borrow more money. Uh, even if you've paid off some of your debts, you don't go out and borrow more if interest rates are stupid high, which they are right now. So that might just be a temporary thing, but it's, clearly Walmart is an unleveraged company that makes it a very safe company Hence why you saw that beta that was so low on it. This company, there's no way that it's ever going to go away. Okay. Now, oh, I wanted to do a couple of lines up here. There are two that I want to insert a couple of lines up here on profitability. One is return on assets. And the other is return on equity. If you were to think of a corporation, its assets are a portfolio of all kinds of different factors of production, machinery, computers, stuff like that. Its total assets are like a portfolio. So suppose I were to say, take it equals your net income divided by the total assets that earned that income. I get, in this case, that asset portfolio earned 5.6%. That's not spectacular. Usually you see those well above that. But again, Walmart's a conservative company. Now, if you do it for just the equity part, you would say, the net income equals net income divided by just what the owners have put into the company. The uh, total shareholder, total equity. Well, they've earned 15% on the money the owners have given them. One thing that you need to write down, total assets I mean, return on assets will always be lower than return on equity. Return on assets will always be lower than return on equity. The reason is simple. The denominator of total assets, of return on assets, has all the assets. The denominator of return on equity has only the equity part of the assets. 
Remember that total assets are uh, liabilities plus owner's equity? Well, the denominator of return on equity will be smaller than the denominator of return on assets. Therefore, return on equity will be higher than return on assets. I'm telling you that because I guarantee you it will be on the midterm. Some way I'll ask that. Same thing with that times interest earned thing. So th those two are out there. Let me copy those over just out of curiosity here. Notice that their return on assets has gone up by a very modest from 5.4% up to 5.7%. It's improved a little bit, but don't wait for that to go through the roof. This is Walmart. It's a stable, mature, conservative company. It, what you're seeing are usually going to be numbers that stay in about the same range, as opposed to a younger company where these ratios can take all kinds of different twists and turns. Now, finishing up on that, uh, on something else, we go to the market ratios. Now, these you have to be a little bit you have to go to other data because it won't be in the income, the financial statements. If you look over here, market value is price to earnings. You have to have the current price of the stock to do uh, this calculation. So the, it's not going to help us to do it. We can just get it off Yahoo. P.E. ratio. Uh, where the... Okay, Yahoo, we can see it right there, WMT, Walmart, there it is, price earnings, dang, that's a little overvalued, but okay, it's 43, I mean, that's one, I mean, I, it'd be hard for me to ask that on a, on a test or anything. But you can, the services, it's one of those that we really like, so almost every service is going to do it. The other one, though, I'll put 43.21 just for the 43.21. That is a current as of today kind of thing. That's the price earnings. The next one is a mixed, is a mixture. This one is called market to book. One of those numbers isn't in the financial statements. It's the market cap. The other one is the book value of the equity. So in this case, we would have to say equals, whoops, and we go over here to Yahoo, there's the market cap, 378.725, 378, here, watch it, because financial statements are in millions, and see that number? That's in billions, so I want to turn this one into millions. This is, I screw this up so much. It's just one of the things where I forget that the units are different. So in millions, 
the market cap is 57800 million. And then you divide that. Now, if you look at the balance sheet, that one is already in millions, 91891. So the market to book is 6.3 times. Here's why, now normally we don't like accounting numbers. But this is one that has a particular curiosity to it for us. Let me explain. You, sir. You're actually my son. I know, I know. But I have to face the fact, I spent $250,000 bringing you up to the point where you could earn a living. Okay, 250, that's book. Now, you've gotten a great job and it's got income prospects as far as the eye can see going up. I can take the present value of that. That could be, even as a present value, $10 million. So in other words, market to book, that's your market value, market to book, measures how much I put in has created, what multiple. That is telling us that Walmart has taken what the equity investors have put in and multiplied it by 6.3 times. That's what market to book says. Now, sometimes these market to books are, I mean, some of them are up there in like the 40, 60. This one is actually kind of, uh, kind of on the low side. It's, uh, it's, well, it's obviously a good number. You know, it's, it's turned what the investors put in, book, into, according to the market, 6.3 times as much as that. Okay, so that's decent. But like I said, you'll see some that, don't be surprised if you do a calculation, you find one that's like 25, 30. And that's just, sometimes that's a great thing. Sometimes that's also a warning of overvaluation. Good example was Tesla. Market to book was staggeringly high. And of course, that was a warning, one of many warning shots that it was overvalued. And guess what? Mar uh, Tesla just dropped through the floor as it began to seek its intrinsic value again. That's the power of these numbers. It's not in the number itself, but all this kind of back and forth thinking about why this is good, why this is not, might not be good. So that's what financial analysis is to a finance person, as opposed to things that you, you, did you learn these in your accounting class or some of them, did they show them to you? Yeah, we dig in and we ask deeper questions here. And that's what, that's what we do in finance. And so one last thing I'll show you here uh, and I will not, uh, full disclosure, I'll show you DuPont. There are actually several DuPont equations. All they do is show you the relationship among ratios. Like, see this one, net income over total assets, that's ROA, is equal to net income over sales, which is 
net margin times sales over total assets. Sales over total assets. Which is sales over total assets, which is the inverse sales over oh, asset to, total asset turnover. Jeez. Okay. So in other words, all the DuPonts do is show you that ratios are actually related. So if I saw net income over total assets, which is your ROA, changing, I could then say which of the ratios that drive it is causing the change. So for example, with Walmart, net income over total assets, uh, net income over sales, Net income over sales is net margin. That's that one right there, net margin. Let me put it over here. Equals that. And then the other one, which makes up sales over total assets. Sales over total assets, which is total asset turnover. That's that one right there. Now, try that again. Okay. Equals that. And then come down here to the DuPont. That's supposed to be net income over total assets, ROA. So we look at ROA, which is right there. Now let's take equals that times that. Watch this not work. Yeah. See, it's the same number. <laughs> I, mean, I always worry that I'm going to key the wrong thing in there. So in other words, this ROA isn't on its own. It's actually the product of two deeper factors your net margin, and your asset turnover. So you ask yourself, well, why is this number as low as it is? Why is ROA so small? Well, asset turnover doesn't look too bad. It's the net margin that makes your ROA so low. ROA, this is kind of, well, I shouldn't say anything about Walmart, but uh, that's actually a very low return on assets. What's driving it? Well, it's the net margin. It's so small. That's what's making the total return, the return on assets low. Inventory turnover ratio is not bad. I mean, for a company that size, yeah, that's, that's decent. So that's what DuPont ratios do, is they help you to see what the underlying factors are in some of the higher level ratios. And that can give us, in management, that says, where do we need to do fixes? And in the case of Walmart, if they said we need to bring up our total return on assets, return on assets, the answer would be, we've got to bring up our net margin. That would be the answer. We can't do a whole lot about asset turnover. That's, that's difficult. But we've got to figure out how do we cut our costs? That would be one thing. Do we increase our prices? Do we try to bully our wholesalers into lower wholesale costs? The answer would be there. Well, that's what, man that's what internal management would do. 
is look at the DuPonts and ask, where can we do something? That's all I have for you today. I thank you.